You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Team, happy Tuesday. Hope you had a great Labor Day. Much to get to in this fabulous edition of the Buck Sexton Show. We got Fauci says decisions about who's going to get an ICU bed are coming and maybe the unvaxxed, he didn't say this part, but this is what they mean, are going to go to the back of the healthcare line. Australia has COVID zero quarantine camps. What to do about jobless benefits for 7 million expiring? Oh, I've got an idea. A lot of people do. Why are so many young men giving up on college and Biden administration slowing down evacuation from Afghanistan to this day? They still continue to show us how utterly incompetent, reckless, buffoonish and stupid they are. No surprise with any of that. We'll come into all of it in a moment. But, you know, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation helps us keep our commitment to never forget. And this year, the foundation is honoring Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and catastrophically injured veterans and first responders with 200 mortgage-free homes. Chairman and CEO Frank Siller is paying tribute to the fallen by walking from the Pentagon to Shanksville and on to Ground Zero, more than 500 miles through six states in 42 days, the month of August through 9-11. Towers of light are to shine at the Pentagon and Shanksville memorials in remembrance, and the names of those we lost to 9-11-related illness are being read aloud at a ceremony on September 12th. On Veterans Day, the names of those we lost in the War on Terror will also be said out loud. Do good and help America to never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Tunnel to Towers Foundation. They do amazing stuff, and you should definitely support them. We got the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 coming up here, so obviously it's a time when a lot of us are thinking about this. All right. Now, COVID madness continues on here. It's not a surprise when you figure that So much about this is not only political, but is about a long-term plan to establish absolute control and to change America and, in fact, to reset the world and the way we live our lives. That's underway right now. You can see it happening all around you. But they're becoming increasingly vicious, increasingly nasty toward the unvaccinated. Here is uh, New York Times writer on MSNBC saying that you got to be protected from the unwashed, unvaxxed, so to speak. A majority of Americans uh, do actually fear this virus and understand the science. They respect it. They've taken steps to protect themselves and their families, and they have a healthy fear. Uh, and, And I think, you know, part of what needs to shift is we need to understand not only the the anxieties of those who are vaccine hesitant or right. resistant but we also need to have a healthy respect for everybody first of all but also uh for the lives and health of everybody else because i think people have a right to be protected uh from the unvaccinated and we are not really talking about that that is that is a serious concern for millions of americans protected from the unvaccinated as, as if the unvaccinated are a a public menace, which is what actually, just so you know, that's what the left believes. That is what the Democrat Party now subscribes to as its primary theory about all of this. The unvaccinated pose unacceptable risk. And so it's not just that you have to be asked or induced or coerced. 
Now we've gone on to the punishment phase. Now we've gone to a place where you see that if they can get away with taking punitive action against you, not just encouraging you, not just giving benefits, punitive action against the unvaccinated, that is the next stage of all of this. Where where do they think this ends? And I just want to know, are you then a bad person if you can't get a booster shot fast enough? Let's say you did get vaccinated, but you couldn't get the booster. This is totalitarian madness. And the people that are still masking up and listening to Fauci are not very smart. And they're destroying our free society. They're actually ruining the country. It's taking them time, but they're destroying the country that we know and love and making it into something, something else. You see, Australia, for example, has quarantine camps. Some people are using another term for these camps, but I'll I'll just say quarantine camps. And at your own expense, they make you, on pain of arrest, have to stay in these quarantine camps for two weeks. This for a virus that they were telling us a year ago, 40% of the cases were entirely asymptomatic. 99% plus of people who get it will survive it. But they'll send you to a quarantine camp and they'll say, oh, well, look, we eradicated smallpox. Smallpox kills 30 percent of the people who get it. Thirty percent. The Spanish flu killed five percent. This kills about, you know, point five percent. And of that point five percent, a vast majority are at tremendous risk because of age and comorbidities from things like the flu or even a you know cold bronchial infection, whatever because they're much older and they've weakened immune systems. But they want to completely transform society. This is never going to end, folks. COVID zero is the policy, not just of Australia, but of the elites in this country, because they're going to live their lives regardless. They get to excuse themselves from the dumbest aspects of these policies, but they can enforce it against all of you. That's what we're seeing now. Well, we've been seeing in this country along, but in Australia where they have These camps, they're now excluding people from going from one state to another. You don't think people in California, you don't think people in blue states like New York and Massachusetts would love the opportunity to prevent interstate travel from red states? Well, you already have over the Texas abortion law, Portland saying it's going to cease doing business with Texas, right? So there's some real tension between the states here. But we are increasingly separating into two societies within America. Those who want to live their lives and insist on normal lives and those for whom COVID theater, Fauciism and the hand wringing cowardice of all the variants. That's the dominant theme in their day to day lives. And they think that they're good people. They think that transforming all of our lives so that we can't live in freedom is somehow something to be proud of because they take the science seriously. You're seeing coverage on places like NBC. You'll see Kentucky getting a lot of a lot of press right now. But you haven't seen Oregon get a lot of press. Why is that? Or Hawaii, where they've had record numbers of, of cases. This virus is just ripping through those who are susceptible to it. Again, that's what's happening. If you've already had it, if you have natural immunity, then you're in the best possible shape against the virus. The vaccines fade. We know that. You say that and people look at you funny, but we know that that's true. Here is uh, on Meet the Press, the governor of Kentucky. 
Well, our situation is dire. We are setting case records. We have a record number of Kentuckians in the hospital battling COVID, in the ICU battling for their lives. We have a record number of families that are praying for their loved one who is on a ventilator and needing that assistance to, to breathe. Why aren't you seeing these stories about Oregon? I'm just I'm wondering, why aren't you seeing that there are blue parts of the country because they have to make this about politics. They have to make this about the good people and the bad people. And you see, the bad people are the ones that question any of this. It's not just a it's not just an issue of the vaccines. Anybody who has an issue with what's going on here who says that they won't just go along blindly with this craziness is essentially the enemy. I mean, our society is being divided along these lines. People see what's going on. The elites, the apparatus of control in America sees what's happening in Australia with these quarantine camps. And they're not horrified by the totalitarian overreach of this. Can you imagine being told if you have something that's basically for you going to be like a common cold, but you could theoretically spread it to someone else and they could theoretically have a much worse outcome. This is also known as what we've dealt with for all of human history since we've been living in in villages and settlements together. Yeah, some, sometimes there are viruses that spread and there's very little we can, you know, aerosolized viruses, very little we can do about it. Yet here we are being told, sure enough, that quarantine camps are somehow acceptable. Two weeks. Imagine if you flew from Texas to California for work. You arrived in California and they said, hey, you have to stay in some shack in the middle of nowhere. You can't see anyone. We'll bring you food that we determine you should have for two weeks. You have to pay for it or else we'll arrest you. That is what they're doing in Australia right now. And you know what's amazing? The caseload has hit an all-time high in Australia. So as they're getting more and more extreme, the cases keep going up and up, almost like they can't really control this. They'll never admit that, of course, but they can't, they can't control it. Uh, and, they're, and they're telling us, things that are just flatly untrue behind all of this as well. I mean, here's on CNN, they're saying we're worse off with COVID now than we were a year ago. This is where they're going to take you just in time for the winter season for lockdowns and school closures. So lazy public sector union teachers unions uh, are going to be able to tell people to stay home, their, their employees to stay home. They're actually making the claim in public now that COVID's worse than it's ever been. The president blaming the surging Delta variant. But amid holiday weekend travel and packed stadiums and celebrations, America is acting like the threat from COVID is over, even though the fact is we're actually much worse off than we were a year ago. The seven-day average of new cases up a stunning 300% from Labor Day just last year. That is idiotic analysis because it doesn't, it's just taking a snapshot of one period and a snapshot of another. Think of what she's saying completely ignores, and I, I guess we're not, we're not supposed to care about it anymore, completely ignores that you have over, what is it now, 150, 160 million Americans vaccinated, plus about 100 million with natural immunity on top of that. These, this only goes away or gets controlled through herd immunity. That's it. There is no other way. All the masking, all the, oh, we're going to do this Fauci bullcrap. Who, who believes this stuff really works? I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people do, but they're not very smart. They're not very smart. They certainly are incapable of thinking for themselves. It's appalling what we're seeing going on right now. 
They're never going to give this up, as I've been saying for a long time. They view this whole mess as a giant opportunity. They view this mess as a chance to reorder America and with it the world, and it's just it's too enticing for them. I'm not going to give this up. They also live lives of quiet cowardice, believing that if they have power and state control and government control, they'll have meaning. This is the, a, a fundamental fallacy of the left. That if only their people are calling the shots in government, they'll feel more worthwhile. They'll feel safe. They'll feel secure. They'll feel powerful, of course, all these things. But it's never really true. Purpose comes from within. An individual has to decide whether he or she is worthwhile every morning when they get up. It's not about what the government tells you. It's not how Democrats view it, though. They still have this absurd belief. That if they if they could get to full Fauciism, we would be in this great, brave new world. Those of you who haven't read a brave new world, time to dust that one off a little bit, given what we are seeing. That much is for sure. You know, uh, I've gotten to know Mike Lindell very well in recent years because he's got an amazing company. My pillow is the maker of products that I've got all over my home. And it's a game changer when it comes to my sleep. I mean, Mike hooked me up with my very own MyPillow and introduced me to their wide assortment of other products like the mattress topper, the sheets, towels, slippers, and more. Sleep is super important to me. I'm sure it is to you, too. It's critical for your immune system, for your sense of well-being. Once you get a MyPillow, you realize you're going to sleep better than you ever have before. This will be some of the best money you've ever spent. Plus, you get the sheets, the towels, the slippers. Game changer all around. Go get great discounts right now on MyPillow products by going to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Special Square. You're going to see rotational offers up to 66% off on products like their pillows, the mattress topper, and the Giza Dream Sheets, but also new products like their slippers, weighted blankets, robes, waffle blankets, and more. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Enter promo code BUCK for these great radio specials. That's promo code BUCK when you go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Special Square Go hook yourself up. Get the Giza Dream sheets. If you haven't already gotten those, I'm telling you, best sheets you will ever own in your life. My favorite sheets I've ever had. No question. So there was a fascinating piece in, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, about young men who are essentially giving up on college is the term that they use. And here's some of the statistics about this. This is a big thing because... A part of the American dream for a long time, and I certainly grew up still in an era where you were led to believe, get a get an undergrad degree and then get a house and everything will be fine. That was kind of those were your big go get your undergrad degree, go get a property that you own, save up for it, work really hard for it, and you'll be solidly in the American middle class. But what about that college degree? What is it worth? Is the debt that many people incur is it too substantial given the actual benefit you get from this? Is it is it onerous to have that amount of debt? Well, here's this piece in the Wall Street Journal. They write that at the close of the 2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students, men only 40.5%. So there are 1.5 million fewer students in colleges and universities compared with five years ago. The decline was 71% men. So you have about a million, you know, you, oh, well, 1.5, a million and a half fewer people in college, and a vast majority of them are men. Men aren't going to college in the same numbers. Why 
is that? Why is that? Well, the piece goes on. The college gender gap cuts across race, geography, and economic background. For the most part, white men, once the predominant group on American campuses, no longer hold a statistical edge in enrollment rates. Enrollment rates for poor and working class white men are lower than those of young black, Latino and Asian men from the same socioeconomic backgrounds. So if you are a white person uh, who is from a working class background, you are less likely to be in college than male minority counterparts in American society today. Now, why is that? There's a lot going on here, but it's interesting because there's a constant encouragement of minorities, particularly black and Latino uh, minorities to be in college at, and, and I, when I say encouragement, I don't just mean rhetorically with special scholarships on affirmative action programs for admission. And there's, there's a lot of effort to always raise those rates. And there's a tremendous amount of pride, you know, whether you're at Harvard or you're at state school or even community college, they will beam with pride over the graduation rate of black and Latino students, irrespective of their socioeconomic background. But white working class students, that's not a stat that gets brought up. That's not something that people in the college admissions office brag about. They, they don't really care very much. They generally will speak to economic inequality, but it's really a, a racial Marxism that most concerns the elites who run the colleges and universities. And the balancing that they can do by bringing in more non-white minorities into college and not caring about the drop-off, which is now starting to look substantial in white males, particularly in college. The piece goes on. Young men get little help in part because schools are focused on encouraging historically underrepresented students. Few campuses have been willing to spend limited funds on male underachievement that would also benefit white men, risking criticism for assisting those who have historically held the biggest educational advantages. You see, you see the mentality on display here. There's, there's a sense of a, a redistributive imperative. Because white men historically had an educational advantage by the numbers, right? More white men in more elite schools, graduating in higher numbers. That's no longer true for those who are working class. But if you try to address that, any program on a college campus that tried to help working class white individuals, males, uh, would be viewed as suspect. There's, there's no political appetite for it, if you will. Here is a uh, department chair at the University of Wisconsin named Gerlando Jackson. He says, as a country, we don't have the tools yet to help white men who find themselves needing help to be in a time when there are groups of white men that are falling through the cracks. It's hard. Why is this so hard? Well, because of the politics around this. There are all these affinity groups and resource centers and all this thing, all these things on campus for uh, for black and Latino and Asian and foreign and LGBTQ. And there are all these different groups that the college apparatus reaches out to and tries very hard to encourage and to raise the numbers of. And there's programs and funding and recruiting and all this stuff. White working class males. You've had it easy. That's what the left believes. That's what they really think. It's been easy. All that white privilege for the white working class males. But how does that actually manifest itself in day-to-day -day life? What does that actually mean? So now you're going to tell people that because a generation or two before them, the demographics favored white uh, males in college, they have to suffer now to balance it out? 
They can't have the resources. They can't have the assistance. And then on top of that, there's just this whole program of left-wing indoctrination and wildly overpriced higher education because the federal government backs him. And the whole system of college and university as credentialing is rotten. You don't get into schools now in, in countless cases for being super hardworking and bright. There are a million different ways in, in places across the country. Not technically a million, but you know what I mean. There are a lot of different ways that people can get into these schools, a lot of different reasons they are taken. So they don't even work as a credentialing program. And so you might be stuck with the debt. It's not going to kick doors wide open for you. What really is the benefit of all of this? Some people are starting to think, particularly working the white males from working class backgrounds uh, or, or low income backgrounds are starting to think, you know what, maybe I just want to get a job out of college. Maybe I don't want to be a social studies major for four years and graduate with thirty or forty thousand dollars of non-dischargeable debt. But why don't we encourage that more? Where where is the social support for that? Never mind government support for it. No, everyone has to go to one of these four-year schools. Look, look, let's be honest. College for a lot of people is one big drinking session. College for a lot of people is meant to be an opportunity to act in a sort of juvenile fashion as, as an adult. That's just the truth. Even very elite schools and all the way down, all the way down the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Oh, then there's the Biden economy. Uh, and, and there's some fascinating stuff right now. Speaking of wages and all the rest of it, fascinating stuff coming out about what are we going to do now that the federal $300 a week unemployment booster is gone? Speaking of boosters. Some people are saying, hold on, get a job. There are millions of open jobs out there. But you see, if the left right now in this country accepted that people should go back to work, that conflicts with the COVID narrative. So so they know that it looks bad economically, but for their COVID control narrative, they can't really encourage people to go back to work. Plus, they believe in redistributive socialist economics. And so they want to give money to people that comes from you and me. They want to give money from the productive to those who choose not to be productive. They like this. This is a way of getting close to a universal basic income, which you know has been a dream of the left in recent years. And this is a way they can get pretty near to it. Um, you've got Robert Reich, uh, who is on MSNBC saying the benefits should be continued. Well, one thing we have to do, obviously, is strengthen our safety nets. And this is where the bill that is winding its way through Congress, that $3.5 trillion, becomes so critical. Uh, it's not as if the pandemic is going away. In fact, it's not as if pandemics are going away. Uh, people need the help that is in this $3.5 trillion bill, uh, they need help with child care. They need help with uh, a safety net that is a stronger safety net. Uh, people need to make sure that uh, children, in fact, all of us have a responsibility to make sure that uh, child poverty drops. It's all in this bill. I think the real question is, uh, is there enough urgency? Do people care enough? Is there enough sense that uh, the timing is right uh, to get this bill uh, actually enacted, along with the infrastructure bill. Both are critical. Both are critical, he says. More money spent, as if the trillions spent during a downturn in the economy was not enough. There has to be more. These people are socialists. 
The Democrat Party in America is the Socialist Party. They just don't they know what that would mean if they adopted the the actual verbiage. So they tiptoe around it. But do you think that they in a, in a perfect world for Pelosi and Schumer and Biden, because they're all rich already, they don't care. Economic productivity doesn't really as long as their servants show up on time and they get to continue to be part of the elite and live in super fancy mansions and lord over the rest of us what to do all the time. They're perfectly happy. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care about the right to rise. They don't care about the ability that people should have to better themselves and their financial situation. Pelosi's situation is good enough. In fact, she'd rather you not be able to make more money and become more independent of state resources because that hurts her power. And also, one thing you'll know about a lot of rich libs, they don't like other people getting rich. They like being rich and they like virtue signaling about how much they care about the poor. But the moment you want to actually take more of their money, tax them more, they become ardent capitalists suddenly. But in terms of social policy, in terms of socialism, they go all in on it. They think it's fantastic. Other people, because they know the middle class will pay for benefits that supposedly help the middle class, but really go to the non-productive underclass in this country and continue to run up the debt into a place where it threatens the entire economy, threatens the value of our currency. None of that matters to them. They just, they just don't care. We'll Coming to Afghanistan stuff in a second here, but as you know, big tech monitors us, censors us, and deplatforms us. And conservatives have been helpless to do anything about it until now. On Getter, you can talk with friends and family and express your political beliefs without fear of Silicon Valley liberals coming after you. Join Getter, the social media platform that supports free speech and opposes cancel culture. Getter is led by former Trump advisor Jason Miller, who saw what big tech did to President Trump and decided to fight back. Getter is the fastest growing social media platform in history with over 1.6 million users and growing, including conservatives like Mike Pompeo, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Steve Bannon and me, Buck Sexton. Join Getter. It's in the App Store, the Google Play Store and at Getter.com. Longer posts, longer videos, sharper and clearer pictures. And unlike Silicon Valley oligarchs, Getter will never sell your data. Send a message today. Join Getter. That's G-E-T-T-R in the App Store, wherever you get your apps. Uh it's time to cancel, cancel culture. So it turns out that the Biden administration wants to take credit now. The Biden administration, State Department, wants to take credit for getting four, four U.S. citizens out of Afghanistan that they had very little to do with. And they had to get out overland. There are delays at Kabul airport still. And the delays apparently are coming from the State Department side. And on top of all of that, we are finding out, we are being told that the vetting process for the tens of thousands of Afghan refugees that are going to be resettled in America was, uh, to put it mildly, haphazard. They didn't really have much of a vetting process. They didn't really prepare in the way that they could have and, and should have. But there was no time to think or talk about it because what was the most important thing at the time? Well, what, what mattered more than anything else to the Biden administration was the optics of it. And getting people out was something that they wanted to show large numbers of. And they they also want to take the opportunity to resettle a whole lot of folks in America. Because remember, the Democrat left is really open borders. They don't believe in the sovereignty of U.S. borders. If they can violate them, they absolutely will. And they do day to day. In fact, the Biden administration, it came out over the weekend, I thought this was fascinating, 
has some of the officials in it have breathed a sigh of relief. This was reported over the weekend over remain in Mexico policy coming back, which is the Trump policy, because the U.S. Mexico border is such a mess that they know they need the remain in Mexico policy uh, to begin to turn back the tide or else it never stops. Basically, what they're telling you about the U.S.-Mexico border where the Biden administration claims that they want to do something about it, they want to help, that's a lie. They want to continue with the chaos and madness as it is. But back to Afghanistan for a second. There are real reasons to be very concerned about what's going to happen in the next few months there, even if you don't really care about the reconstruction project in Afghanistan and, you know, the women's rights issues and all these other things that, I mean, you can care about it, but do you want to send troops in to do something about it? Uh, Joey Jones, friend of the show and a Fox News contributor, former uh, EOD tech. Here he is. Play six. Is there a, is there just as much of a threat, if not a, a more empowered threat? Absolutely. I mean, you can't look at 20 years of war and not think we've probably made more enemies there. They they really embolden the Taliban by going and recruiting young men that get romanticized on the idea of jihad. And a lot of them, most of them probably come from Pakistan and the madrasas there. So the, so the idea of radical Islam is probably stronger now than it's ever been. The one thing that's different is our own defenses here at home. The way we're looking at threats, the way we survey things, and the way we look at who comes into our country or supposed to look at who comes into our country. I can tell you, just as someone with a top-secret clearance read in on things that have already happened to learn mm-hmm. from, we we deter threats, I mean, every single day. What happens in Afghanistan going forward does become a platform for international terror. We will continue to follow this very closely. And obviously, the jihadist narrative is seizing upon the withdrawal from Afghanistan, but also the upcoming 9-11 Memorial Day. We will get into we will get into this in the days ahead. I've I've got a feeling we've got some some tough stuff that's coming our way. Thanks for being here with me on the Buck Saxon Show podcast. Always uh, an honor to spend some time with you first thing in the morning. Uh, Please, if you have not already, become a subscriber to the Buck Section Show podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, don't just listen on one-off. Subscribe and tell somebody about it. Pass the buck. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.